I get that all the time in the fitting process. I need a line because it helps me aim. And then you say, well, you're aiming a foot left, so how does that help you aim? And then you take the line off and they aim it straight and they look at you like confused, like really? You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking with leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We are in the midst of our golf myths season. We have crushed a bunch of myths on stats. That was our first episode. We had Mark Brody on. Lots of good comments on Twitter I've seen around that one. Uh, folks really enjoying that, using his app, getting interested in stats that matter and how that can get back to affecting your practice, improving your game. Last week, we had tackled some mental gain myths with Dr. Brett McCabe. And today, we are looking at putters, specifically aim in alignment on putters. And we are with David Adele of Adele Golf today. But an update before we get into these myth-busting insights. If you're listening to this at the beginning of July, our mindfulness course with Dr. Greg Carton is about to kick off and definitely something to check out right away. Here's what it is. Number one, it's really an opportunity to transform the way that you view the mental game and approach performance with tour proven strategies and exercises. Dr. Greg works with a stable of tour players and the things that he teaches in this course are the same things that he works on with players on the PGA Tour. Number two, you're gonna get a video course that we've put together and tested with students. This is material that we have worked to refine and help lay out in a manner that makes sense. Uh, and then number three is a live sessions. So we're gonna have three live sessions so you can ask questions and get continued education over this first month that you get access to the course. You get access to this content for life, but we're gonna have three live sessions in the first month that you're going through the course with Dr. Carton. Here's some quotes for students that we've already taken through this uh, that I think are worth sharing. This approach makes so much sense and one that everybody can incorporate into their golf routine or life in general. It has been a great help to me already and as someone who has searched for a long time for a mental approach to help me in competition, this is the first that has given me encouragement. That was from Michael, one of the students that's gone through and maybe another one real quick. Dr. Greg and Cordy present the mental side of the game in an understandable real world application. An interesting insight I took from the course was that while I took it for golf specifically, I saw some real world applications that apply in everyday life as well. The content was thorough and explained nicely and the ability to watch and complete at your own pace was really nice in my opinion. So we're really excited about this training. I'm a huge fan of Dr. Cartons. I've spent a lot of time with him and wanted to partner with him on this training. And I am excited that we're launching it out to everybody. You can head over to golfsciencelive.com under our training tab. You can get all the info. And uh, I hope to see you in the course. And now a word from today's sponsor. Well, it's Adele Golf, which happens to be David Adele's company. This episode is sponsored by Adele Golf. And let's talk single length irons. The idea is to make everything easy. Same ball position, similar swing, same plane. We're taking that easy eight or seven iron swing that you love and doing it with every iron in the bag. So the question is, how do you hit irons different lengths? Well, they have a few things going on. Progressive face thickness. And so Adele used multiple materials of varying face thicknesses throughout the set to maintain proper ball speeds for each specific iron. 
Another aspect is progressive internal cavity. By progressively decreasing the size of their internal cavities as the loft increases, they can control ball speed, resulting in better distance gapping throughout the set. As well as they optimize the center of gravity or the CG. Through multiple design features, they're able to create a vertically progressive center of gravity throughout the set. Lower CG in the lower lofted clubs, transitioning to higher CG in the higher lofted clubs to better control ball flight and improve launch conditions, shot dispersion, and feel by maximizing head stability. I think you should look into this more. We have a full podcast with David Adele where he tells the whole story of single length irons. You can find that at golfsciencelive.com slash Adele. And if you want to demo these, Adele has a demo program. Head over to Adele Golf. Check that out. Really cool. If you do get a set, Tag us at the Golf Science Lab on Twitter, Instagram. Let us know how it goes. All right, David. So, you know, I've got my putter and I know that I need to align my face towards the hole because I know that that's really important on where the golf ball starts, right? So I need a, like mm-hmm. the most bold line possible to really visualize this to, to get an understanding of where my club face is pointed, right? Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, lines lines are a misunderstood thing, in my opinion. You know, in the past, putters didn't have many lines on them. For one thing, lines are hard to manufacture, especially on weird shapes. But in general, you know, every putter nowadays has a line on it because, one, either the designer thinks that that's important, or two, that's what the public wants. And uh, often lines are very intrusive to the aiming process. Uh, lines are not necessarily a alignment feature like looking down the barrel of a gun, looking to sight up to two parallax objects uh, to, to create one you know, direct line. So lines actually, to me, lines are attraction symbols. And, you know, depending on where the line is and how big the line is, that attraction symbol being, you know, how is it? make somebody focus on a certain part of the putter lines produce the perception of perpendicularity and parallel and you know the player has to take that line in conjunction with their own binocular vision looking at the target look at the hosel the head shape and the lines and discern whether or not that putter looks open closed or square right and and most often lines are in the wrong spot of the putter and also contradict what the line value is supposed to do. So, for example, if a person has a mallet, a mallet's general shape is to look forward because it's a curve. And then you put a line in the back and it almost negates the value of the mallet, which is looking forward. Lines on the top line move focus forward. And uh, depending on your aim bias, that can be good or bad. So, you know, the number of lines, the width of the line in terms of the length from front to back can have very, very crazy ramifications for aim bias and usually lying from the back of the putter tend to make the putter look open and people excessively close it and that's you know through my testing uh you know i have a patented line template that we can wet a race marker a line in the, the putter so i've been doing that for you know darn near uh six seventeen years eight uh, actually about 20 years now that line you know i know probably as much about lines as anybody out there when it comes to what their values represent. And I'm not against lines. It's just that, you know, the, the concept that I need a line, and I get that all the time in the fame process, I need a line. 
because it helps me aim. And then you say, well, you're aiming a foot left, so how does that help you aim? And then you take the line off, and they aim it straight, and they look at you, like, confused, like, really? So I really just think that, you know, the problem with the industry is they put them on there, so it's very hard to find a putter that doesn't have a line. And like I said, they also contradict often the head shape and the value of what that what that line is trying to represent in terms of aim. So, yeah. Well, I mean, so the, the purpose of a line or what people think purpose of the line is because they want to aim it at the hole, but you guys have some data that people just don't aim at the hole. I, I saw something, it was uh, 60% of players aim left, 35% aim right, and 5% aim at the center on a six foot putt. Yeah. So, much, yeah. we're not very good at aiming, uh, even with these lines and everything that we're trying right now. Well, and the funny thing is, a lot of that data was pre all this new hybrid putters, you know, with all these strange shapes that have come out in probably the last five to six years. So I think it's even more of a left aim bias because most of these putters are wide and they have a lot of shapes and crazy geometry in the back of the, in the back cavity. And, you know, the the perception of throwing. So I've learned two things in my years of fitting, and that's when I throw focus backward on a putter, it tends to make the putter look open and people excessively close it because it looks open. And and when I move focus forward, people tend to see that looking more hooked and they tend to open it. And, you know, how people open and close, sometimes they lean their handle back and sometimes they lean their their handle forward. Sometimes they rotate or do both. So focus, you know, what, what a line does is it says, hey, look over here, right? I'm throwing my your focus pattern back because you have to deal with the way this line looks. And conversely, if I put the lines on the front, it does it does the exact opposite generally. So, and lines also control loft, you know, because if you throw focus back, we tend to see lines the loft uh, rebound of the laser aim go higher, and then when we throw lines forward, the loft tends to drop. So it, it not only changes the the rotational bias of aim, it also changes the loft bias. So can have a very adverse effect on dynamic loft and effective aim. Why is it the majority of people aim left of these? Well, like I said, if, if most of the putter has all this visual stimulus put in the back of the putter, weird contours and shapes that, you know, are, Uh, let's say look at a spider you say well it's got these two looking jet engine things on there it's got a triangular shape and and the lines on it those values when you put the putter in an aiming condition and you say what how does that putter look to you almost everyone would say it looks like it's aiming right so they either lean their handle back or they rotate the face to make it look square to their perception so you know there's a physical aim and there's a perceptive aim and the, the one that's most important is the perceptive aim, is how does that person relate to that putter in terms of whether the values they get out of it. And when we throw focus backward on a putter, it tends to look open. And that's, I think, that in general terms, most putters have a lot of visual stimulus in the back of the putter. Then you combine that with putter offset or the hosel offset, that's also throwing the vision back because the shaft is ahead of the ball and, and, and progresses the face and the uh, back of the putter farther back. So I think that's probably why we're seeing such a pervasive aim bias left is because of the design of the putters. Gotcha, gotcha. And I guess I, uh, another kind of just simple question, but why does having the putter aligned at the target matter if we're doing so much manipulation in our putter stroke? 
per se? You know, it makes the most sense is, is, and we've seen it in, in, in our studies, you know, that if you can get the putter to aim correctly at address, then it will tend to return to that spot much easier. And one of the reasons, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword aiming perfect because if the putter isn't in balance to the inclined plane, then the tendency is for it to rotate open. So, you know, so under different types of stroke patterns, either radial or linear stroke patterns, you're going to see a different amount of face rotation with each one under different rates of acceleration. So what we'll see a lot is, is people that aim left block, they have a lot of face rotation opening through the impact interval, which kind of negates the, the left aim bias because of the design of the putter. So, you know, it aiming perfectly, but not having, you know, that face, to, you know, being able to stay stable during the stroke motion, you know, you'll see, you'll see examples of players that aim left and, and block it into alignment. So their dynamic aim or their deep plane aim is aiming at the target, but yet under different rates of acceleration, that becomes harder to do for the average player. A tour player can execute that much easier because they practice so much. But the average player doesn't understand this hidden value of torque and aim and, and acceleration and weighting and all these things. So dynamic aim, when you're hitting the ball, impact aim, is so obviously we want that vector going on to our intended target line. Generally speaking, if you aim straight, it's a lot easier to return it back to that position, generally speaking. But if your putter isn't designed, if it has a lot of, you know, MOI and stuff in the back of it, uh, which we can talk about later, is that the adverse effect on face rotation that that has. So it's a very complex scenario because there's not compression involved like there is in an iron where you can fade or draw it to your target lines, where 94% of where the ball goes is where the face points. And most people have zero idea about where their putter actually truly aims because they'll come in and say, hey, Dave, you know, you know, I'm struggling with my putting. I said, well, where do you aim? And they go, I aim, I, I aim right. I go, okay, cool. And then I test their aim and they aim a foot left, right? So they're basing it on the results, not the actual physical, where do I aim my putter? So uh, most people have uh, very little understanding of where they aim. Only 3% of the people we studied had what we would term as ideal aim. 20% aimed within the confines of the hole and the other 80% were all over the map. So when I talk about aim, I don't just talk about left to right. I also talk about vertical aim. That would be the what we would call a D-plane aim. Where's how much the loft is on that, you know, loft excessive loft is a left in a curvilinear motion is going to be generally speaking, depending on ball position, but most people have, will, will have it forward, is that that would be a left aiming vector having excessive loft. And, you know, someone forward pressing it into the ground where the laser rebound doesn't even return back to, to above ground, that vector points right. So loft is the name vector as well as the face left and right is considered, you know, part of that whole paradigm of where does that sweet spot aim when I strike the ball. So have you ever fit someone into a putter that they don't aim directly at the hole based on that then? Or... Uh... No, because, you know, with my torque balance series putters with the toe going up, when you put that on the inclined plane, I wouldn't want that. You know, I guess if if I was to 
to play the game of what the industry does, you might worry about more about what's going on in a dynamic part of the stroke because you're dealing with a putter that, in my opinion, would be ill-designed for, you know, a constant face position through the arc or or the motion of the putter. So, you know, here's a perfect example of, you know, the number one player in the world who fixed his aim bias, but yet didn't fix the stroke bias. And now you're seeing, you know, him, you know, struggling with, you know, with hitting, hitting the putt because before he aimed left, and I know that for a fact, he aimed left and then his putter was very torquey and it blocked it into an impact position. Well, now he aims it correct and now he's blocking it, you know, to the right or confused about what his starting line is. So those are, you know, that's a very complex thing. And, you know, it takes, it takes somebody with a pretty profound understanding of the three-dimensional scenario and the psychological scenarios that go into making a putter work for a particular application. So I guess to kind of kind of mm-hmm. wrap this up, I mean, we're seeing all these brands come up with crazy designs, right? Some of them are for AIM, some mm-hmm. of them for MOI, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of these are for AIM and these drastic kind of measures that that these designs are going to don't necessarily aid in aiming. It can be the smallest things like changing from a line, you know, toward the back or two lines or three lines or four lines. These these smaller things that can have the bigger difference on aim then. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it's the big issue is it's not that that doesn't fit somebody, right? It's does that model or that line or that scenario work for everyone. And and that's the thing. We can't just say, oh, it's having success out on the PGA Tour or LPGA or Senior Tour that this putter is a great putter. Well, I think, you know, in this day and age when with so many opportunities and so many, you know, we have a, a greater sense of understanding in general that a person should be able to go in and, and and go through a process and see wh- how does that relate to me? How do I process that line? How do I process that head shape? And then what is the solution if I don't process it in the way that I want it to? So I think that's, you know, we all deserve you know the, the time and effort and money it takes to play golf that we should, you know, put our best foot forward and have a putter that we know matches a certain amount of criteria that we can check off the list and go, yeah, this putter is far better than, you know, the other putter or the next putter. So, uh, and why, and having that understanding allows us to then down the road, you know, know our, our tendencies and know that I should look for this type of putter versus that. Often I get somebody, they'll say, why did you put me into this putter? And I said, well, I didn't put you into it. You put yourself into it. They go, what do you mean? And I go, well, you came in saying you had, you brought four of your examples of your putters with you and they all look the same. And then, you know, you want a different result. And, the result you get from those putters is X bias. And then I fit you based on taking each variable in itself and evaluating it towards the whole. And in the end, the putter that you aimed the easiest, fastest, and best was one that had this shape to it, this line combo, this hosel scenario, this length, this line angle. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very subjective process. So, I mean, the, the days of, of heading to the practice green and like just grabbing putters and saying, oh, this feels good. I like how this looks and I like how this feels. And, you know, they kind of swing it. I, I think is over. That needs to be a more fitting process. But what do you what do you say to the person that's like, oh, if I get fit and something's uncomfortable, like I don't want to use that. Like, 
that can't help me. Like the putter has to be comfortable, right? Or it has to look good to me in air quotes over look good. Like, what do you say to that person when you get them? Well, I think, I, I think there's this myth that, that the putter has to look good to have it work good. And, you know, if a person says, you know, I've always looked at a, let's say an answer style head shape, and I find that to be attractive. Well, but you aim it very crooked. Someone has to reconcile that myth in their head that what I think looks good may not be good for me, right? So that's where that individual has to either say, well, I'm so used to it. I really guess I'm just going to go with what I think looks good. And I think what, what you end up knowing looks maybe different actually can look good if you can continually validate that it is aiming. It's it's sufficing a criteria that is important to me, which is that my putter can aim and that it, you know, then I can move it back and forth. You know, putter's two things. It's it's basically an alignment system and it's an emotion system. So we can't confuse the two. Why I like a putter, you know, I might like it because the weighting's correct, but its alignment is horrible. Well, you'll see. Well, I put pretty good with this putter. And that's because you can control speed. So speed kills, right? So one of the most important parts of putting is controlling speed and the whole capture width through having, you know, good constant speed. But, you know, sometimes someone will sacrifice the aim bias because the putter weighting is good. And and weighting is a very easy thing to control if you understand and you have the tools to do it. So you can have the putter that aims correct and, and moves back and forth in a, in a succinct manner that allows you to roll the ball the distance you intended. So, you know, my job as a fitter is to make what you see real be real and what you feel to be real. That's plain and simple. That's all I'm trying to do. And, and it has nothing to do with my own bias. You know, I, I call myself more of a behaviorist than I am a, you know, putter fitter. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at their behavior patterns of, of how they process the, the lines. How do they process the weighting of the putter? And it's my job is to make all that, kind of natural and simple for that individual. Aiming is a, is a very easy process if you have the tools to understand it. You know, a fitting system and a process that doesn't pigeonhole people into scenarios. And, and then it's a waiting process and having, you know, the understanding of how do we counterweight? You know, how do we headweight? How do we internally weight the putter so that I, I can feel, you know, distance and touch? You know, we all have touch. It's just often the putter stifles that. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's interesting you say emotion system. Personally, you know, just through a lot of conversations and data and stuff that a distance is more important than aim once we get past a certain point, right? And so, you know, having mm-hmm. the ability to control speed is, is just vital. What is your metric then? So, aim, obviously we can throw a laser and, and get aim and see where people are aimed. Motion, what's our metric or what are we looking there to see if a putter is, is working well in that regard? Well, I mean, you know, from about eight feet, if you're 1.27 degrees off, you will miss the putt. If you are within that, then if you roll it straight on the intended line, you, you have an you know, an opportunity to make every putt. I think one of the, you know, metrics that's really important to understand for most people is the putter's design and the stroke pattern and the acceleration pattern have a very strong effect on the side spin rotation of a ball. You know, I have a Quintic, and when, you know, uh, when you test with it, I'll get some tour players that will come in with 44 RPMs of hook spin, right? And anything over 10 
RPMs of side spin, a putt will miss, if it's hit dead straight, will miss the hole over 10 RPMs. So, you know, reducing that side spin rotation has a lot to do with, you know, how that face opens due to the design of it. And then the players, you know, need to close it. How fast is that, you know, and that closing capture speed? You know, some players I've seen have come in with 88 degrees per second of face closure, which is, you know, and they're hitting up on it with a, so it's almost like you're hitting, playing tennis and you're, you're hitting up on it, closing the racket down and creating that spin that makes it, you know, go up and doesn't, but it spins back down over the net. That's kind of what's happening with a lot of putter motion scenarios. And that produces side spin rotation. And no matter how straight you hit it, if you hit it on that intended line, the hook spin or cut spin is going to make you miss it. So design comes into it and the line is part of that scenario of it creating a certain aim bias the head design is part of it in terms of creating a rotational bias and then their acceleration their speed control and then and you know factors that they're trying to succinct up you know in the space time and motion that face being square at the target you know is a, is a really complex scenario so you know there's a, there's a lot of factors that are go beyond just where's my face aiming What's the weight of my putter, MOI, all these things that we, we all hear about. And, you know, we use phrases that don't really match the actual scenario, like face balance putters. You know, I don't know if about you, but I don't putt at the sky. So, but when I put the putter on the inclined plane and anybody can pick the putter up, put it between the crotch of two fingers, both hands, and just put the putter on the inclined plane and see if their putter rotates they're going to find that everybody's putter rotates open so and you know another myth is you know toe flow you know people have a a misconception that the toe hang of a putter actually releases it doesn't release the player releases it more so they're more involved in the the push against the the moment arm of that putter trying to open and they release it more so we have this concept that the face balance putters stay square, but they really don't. Depending on the design of the putter, you know, face balance putter can be as obtuse as a toe hanging 8802 because the amount of mass has been delegated past the, you know, the axis of its gyration, which is, you know, the axis of its gyration is on the shaft plane rotationally around that. And then any mass that's outside of that wants to locate itself due to gravity on the inclined plane. So the more upward, you can take an MOI putter and hold it in your fingertips at vertical and it's stable. But the minute you put it on the inclined plane in varying degrees, the, the flatter you get, the more wonky it gets. Yeah. There's an awful lot going on in putters that, you know, that, that the that the phrase that's used by the industry or the terminology that's used by the industry is is totally bogus. Doesn't hold water. You know, to say that, oh, you're more of an arc putter or you're more of a straight back, straight through. None of that terminology makes any sense to me. You know, the studies I've done, I'd say about 85% of the people that play golf, regardless of whether you're on a tour or not, are linear, which means they're thrusting the putter in a, in a linear fashion, which, you know, would be more of a straight back, straight through technique. So they're, and then the lie angle dictates a lot of the arc, you know, that someone would have. So, I don't subscribe to that oh, arcing method and straight back straight through method. I think, you know, you have to understand which one you are, and then that's what it is. You can't really say, oh, I want to be an arc putter. Well, you can, but it may not 
match your acceleration scenarios of how you derive power to the putter. How do you derive alignment? So there's a lot of factors that go into that, which is body typing. You know, what are your fold patterns in, in your your arm fold patterns? There's players that are unders, there's players that are side on, and there are players that are covers. And then there's players based on their arm lengths have different lengths of arms, the upper arm to the lower arm. And you have to slot your putter based on, you know, the slotting that I've seen in full swing patterns matches the great players where they actually slot the putter points to the same exact spot in their in their body lines so you'll have players that you know hold their hands low but they're actually swing from a shoulder plane much steeper and and the arms are always seeking to get into that that field of motion that's why they have you know they go outward and they go outward is because the ball position forces the hands to seek an alignment to the shoulders or to the torso or to the hip plane and it's all very different depending on your body type so body typing is very important and that dictates the stroke not hey you're not putter you're straight back through that's to me is a very very easy thing to say and very nonsensical so i wanted to touch on moi quickly because i think that's driven a lot of the designs that we're seeing from a lot of companies is is trying to increase Mm -hmm. the moi um just briefly describe like what is the myth like what is this concept of moi that that people are chasing right now well, MOI means that you have a moment of inertia. It's, it's stability under a strike, essentially, to dumb it down. And MOI, in a certain scenario, is a very viable scenario when it comes to stability of the putter under a, under a strike, okay? The problem is, is in a putter, because we don't play it at a vertical, MOI, as it moves farther back, which... You know, from a from a mechanical standpoint, that's what you want to do with MOI. You want to move it back because it will stabilize under under a certain strike. The problem is, is what does it do in terms of where it changes the face position? Because of the torque, its desire to rotate open. Every putter rotates open. And because every backstroke is slower than the forward stroke, then you're going to actually see more of that face rotating open. So MOI... Though a a great term, and it's one that's used often, it's not understood under basic acceleration patterns in putting because of how strong an effect it has on the opening process of the putter. If 94% of where the face is pointing where the ball goes, then the stability that a putter may have by MOI is totally thrown out the window because it changes the position of where the face would be. So in that regard, it has less value than, you know, a putter that maybe isn't as stable, but yet can maintain the face square. So MOI also has a very um, negative effect on the amount of weight the putter has. So a putter with, let's say it's 350 grams with a ton of MOI probably has a weight signature of over 400 grams just because of that that twisting effect that the player is having to offset, which represents pressure and weight because of the change in direction. So MOI also has a negative effect on rise angle because, you know, gravity wants to to, to make all things fall to the earth, right? If you have more weight in the back of the putter, you look at MOI putters, a lot of them in the fall through, they drop down and the players fall through rise angles a lot higher. So it's changing the position of the face and in, in relationship to impact because of the, the MOI is dropping more in the back because it's just heavier. And then it's what does it do to aim? 
You know, so to have MOI and have all this feature in the back of the putter, it comes with a consequence of a shape, which may not be relative to the person's aim bias. So to just put MOI in a nutshell, I think it's, you know, it's very misunderstood. It's very um, erroneous in the way it projects itself as as providing stability because it doesn't provide stability in terms of the inclined plane under motion. It's actually less stable. So even though you you may hit it and it go, oh, well, that was a well-struck ball, it, position of the face position due to MOI can say, oh, that ball's just rolling really solid offline, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's my take on it. This has been awesome, man. We've talked through a lot of good things here. You know, kind of leave a, a call to action for people. Obviously, going through your fitting process is, is one where you can kind of see where you're at with your aim, see where you're at with mm-hmm. all these different factors. I mean, are there any tests like... Can people get a laser and try this at home? Should they do like a, a ladder drill to see how good their speed control is? Maybe their motion is with their current putter. Like what kind of practical things could people do to test out to say, hey, I like the look of my putter, but is it actually good? Yeah, I mean, when we started a test, I put a simple string on the ground and, and then uh, have people putt to the string. And, and it's amazing to see how bad their distance control is, and it might take them three or four putts. And these are tour players that can't, at 15 feet, roll a ball dead on the string, one after another. They play Goldilocks, right? They hit one long, they hit one short, and then they kind of find the middle. And then, you know, but in the end, they say in their mind, it rolled on the string, but it didn't feel like that's what it should have been, right? I trusted my first instinct, and it went long, and then I then I Goldilocks it and, hit, and it was too cold, and then it was just right, you know? And that's the weighting of a putter is a, a very misunderstood thing too. The industry is moving towards heavy, you know, it's been moving to heavy for a long time and we've kind of stabilized around 350 to 360. In my opinion, that's far too heavy for linear stroke patterns. And the problem with weighting of a putter, you can't weight these modern putters because they're just too heavy. You can't put counterweight in them in the way you need to because the putter overall, the head weight's too heavy. So I classify putting linear strokes into three three categories. One is a short linear, medium linear, and long linear. And each one of those has a totally different weight scenario. So a short linear putter would, you know, some of those putter heads, you know, they work best because they have such a short interval to accelerate the putter that they go, you know, maybe 300 and, you know, 300 to 320 in the head weight. And then the handle weight in the counterbalance, you know, we'll see those short linears be 110 grams of counterweight high up in the handle. And that scenario is phenomenal for a short linear putter. So you can evaluate yourself and say, look at your putter stroke on video and go, is my putter stroke go back short? Does it go back middle, medium, or does it go back long? And a middle, a medium putter would probably be like the 315 to 340, 330, 335 range with less counterweight and some internal weight, splitting the weights. That'll help a medium linear stroke achieve a far better role. And then your then your long linears are going to look kind of radial. Their head weights can be around the, you know, 335 to 350 range with a little bit of counterweight. So if somebody's a, a long linear, the current putter offerings today probably would help. You know, they could put counterweight in it and that would work well. The big problem is, is that when the industry puts counterweight in a putter, they do the exact wrong thing, which is to put head weight into the putter. They think, oh, by putting counterweight, I got to put head weight in there. And that's the total erroneous thought. That's another myth that's wrong. When you add counterweight, you got to make your putter heavier. That just makes the putter really heavy. 
People process weight in very different ways. Linear putters process the handle. They process the overall hanging weight of the putter. They don't process it as head weight. They process it as overall hanging weight. And then the, the ease of which they can accelerate the putter. Very few people are radial. And I think more people are long linear than they are when they perceive themselves as radial. They're actually long linear. And so by just defining, making a definition of scenarios, that's what I've tried to do. Is, and then I try to say, okay, you're not just linear. You're, there's categories of it. And then how do we weight it? And then what are the techniques that work most effectively in that scenario? So, you know, we just can't pigeonhole someone into you're an arc putter, you're straight back through, and you're linear, you're radial. There's, there's degrees of everything. So having the understanding of what that is and, and what are, what are the combative processes to work in that in the favor of that person to find those scenarios that apply to them and them only not to their friend or anybody else so that's what the fitting process should be and i think that's what we've tried to do over the last 22 years of fitting people is understanding these processes and we keep coming to greater understanding you know as we put other things to bed we find other anomalies and scenarios that allow us to do a better job of evaluating people so when they come they're like wow that was a i learned so much and we don't really say a whole lot they just go through the experience it's very unique awesome thanks man for joining us today and thanks for supporting the golf science lab and uh, the podcast and appreciate it people should go to a fitter check out your system that you've developed because it's really unique and takes you through this whole process to to make sure that you have the best putter for you possible what's the best way the website people can find a good fitter near them yes we have a drop down menu find a fitter on uh, edelgolf.com and uh, hopefully there's somebody nearby that you can go find we have a lot of fitters throughout the u.s so maybe a little bit of a jaunt but i think it would be well worth it yeah. for most people to kind of put that put a lot of those uh, demons to rest <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Find out once and for all if your putter is actually working for you or not. And dispelling myths, that's so important. You know, if, if we, you know, we, we can't be so ignorant and ignorance, not stupidity. It's just ignoring. We can't be ignorant to the things that are said and, and not scrutinize them. You know, words are very powerful things. And, and I often think in the golf industry, we use throw words around like, you know, in the medical industry, you couldn't throw words like that around people. So, yeah, you know, but we do it in the golf industry. And, and uh, you know, a lot of what's marketed is minutia. It really doesn't have a lot in, in terms of science. It's just it's just marketing buzz to make, you know, the next offering look better than the, the previous one. So new and improved doesn't mean it's new and improved, <laughs> especially for you. Thank you so much to David for joining us. Really appreciate his coming on to the podcast. He's been a guest a few times as well as sponsoring and supporting what we're doing here at the Golf Science Lab, this series of episodes on golf myths. Much appreciated. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts uh, as you can catch all our in-between episodes where we have little insights, snippets from shows, and our quick questions with guests. You can get to know them a little bit better. And if you are listening and you are not a Golf Science Lab insider, you definitely should check that out. Head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider and sign up for that so you can get access to the content first and stay up to date on what we are up to. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just It Published Productions.